0: We're in a similar situation too, yeah? The police are so busy and I remember waiting on, on, a, on, a, on a, some police not long ago and it took them two and a half hours to get to a place. It takes them a long time. But I don't recommend that we try that one, hey? We might get in a bit of strife. Um, so this morning's topic I've listed um, and it comes with a question, Are you content? Now I remember reading an article, or, or reading—I think it might have been in, the, in a devotion—that um, I had last week, and I mentioned to someone. So someone would have heard this. I don't know if it's someone in this room, but at my age, you say things and then you forget it. Yeah, and you forget who you told, but you told someone, and he went something like this. Um, he said, "For Christians, this is for, for, for Christians. This is as bad as it gets." So life here on earth, the way that we are, this is as bad as it gets. And for non-Christians, for people that haven't accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, this is as good as you'll ever get for them. Kind of scary, yeah? This is as good. So it's so extreme from one to the other. Now we're gonna. um, I'm I'm actually gonna cut into um, Ben's topic for tonight. And I think that Ben already looked at that, and that's the topic for the Bible class, and it's the last one we've been going through, Philippians. And this is the last uh, Bible study that we have. So if you'd like to hear a different perspective, or you'd like to contribute a little bit, please come tonight at the Bible study. Um, But the Apostle Paul, he writes, I'll be looking here, right, Ben? And, And I'll read, and he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Do you consider yourself as a content person? You know, as we look around, so, so we might answer that question and give the right answer that, yes, I am content, But do you demonstrate that? Do do you demonstrate it by your facial expression? Do you demonstrate it by your life? Do you demonstrate it by the questions that you ask or the way that you go about? Are you satisfied with your life? Are you satisfied with your job? Are you satisfied with your spouse? Or do you have the if, if only I were married, I would be happy if you're single. Or if only I was single again, if you're married, I'd be able to do so much more for God when you get up in the morning what do you say do you thank god for the situation that you find yourself into in are you happy with your income do you think that you're being paid what you're worth i'll just mention two individuals did you know that roger federer earned over 150 million aussie dollars in prize money alone i think he signed a contract recently for 200 million just at his age of 37 And I know that money doesn't bring happiness, but has it ever crossed your mind? If only... Remember there was that Tatsuoto recently that no one claimed, what was that, $80 million or something? I think it was 80 50 Yeah, they claimed it on the last day. Was it 50 or 80 I just wanted to know whether people were jumping in and they're saying, no, I know it was 80 I know it was 50 Um, and, and I wonder if it's crossed your mind like it's crossed my mind. It's crossed my mind and I said, wouldn't it be fantastic if I could have won that and I'd be able to get rid of so many of my problems, but I'd be able to contribute so much and I'd be able to bless missions and I'd be able to do these great things and wonderful things. And I used to think a lot more about that when I was younger than probably what I do now because I've learned to accept that if God knew that that was going to happen in my life, He would probably give it to me. But He probably knows that it would do me bad and it would destroy me, and that's why He doesn't give it to me. And I'm grateful for that, and I'm glad for that. Now, the Apostle Paul, here, he's, he's getting old, yeah? And it's, a, it's great that he says this, and he says this in, in, in Philippians chapter 4, he says that I've learned to be content, and he's learned the secret of being content. But he's had, at, at this point, he finds himself not at the peak of his life. At the peak of his life, he was well off, he was healthy, he was free man. Now he finds himself in a prison in Rome, and his health is deteriorating. His, uh, um, his, his, his wealth is all gone because he's got nothing. And his freedom is gone. And he says, I've learned learned the secret to be content. So he's finally content now. He's learned that lesson. And is that when we're going to learn it? Are we going to learn it when we're in a situation like that? Or are we going to learn to be content now? Something for us to think about. And, and, And I think that if he says that he's learned the secret to be content, then maybe we need to give him a little bit of attention and and, and focus a little bit on some of the words that he's got to say. I think it's, it's, it's quite fascinating that he says that he learned the secret, the secret of being content. And what is that secret? And we'll look at it. We'll look at it a bit later on. And I'd like for us to focus on two major points that I want to touch this morning. And the first one is the enemies of contentment. And then the second one, and we'll go later on in that, is the source of contentment. But the first one is the enemies of contentment. And there are several enemies, and I'm sure there's a lot more enemies that I've written down, and I've just got four of them to, to share with you. But the first one is unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations. Do you have unrealistic expectations? Do you have unrealistic expectations in your workplace, in your personal life, in your marriage, in your children, in yourself? You know, when um, the the previous generation, probably my parents, when they came to to this country and, and your parents, when they came to this country, I remember our first TV was black and white and then I remember asking our first TV, Rosanna and I, and we got this one that I think we threw it out not long ago. I could have used it for a, in my chicken shed. It was about that big deep, and that wide, and you could have tipped it upside down and used it for storage. And that's how big the thing was. And you know, and that was all that we had for a long, long time. We had one TV, but nowadays, nowadays. People get married, and the the parents. When parents got married, you know, that's all they had certain things, but didn't have a lot of things. And you just waited, and sometimes you never got anything. Nowadays, this generation wants everything now. They get married; they want to have everything brand new, everything now. It's a way that it's been like that for a while. So the expectations are very high, and those expectations don't come with. They they come at a cost. They come with a price. And then that builds that pressure. And then financial pressure comes in and it kicks in. So some people think, well, you know, all the expectations in a marriage. And they think that this person seems to be perfect. And I'll marry them and then they find that that person was not perfect. And their expectations were very high. Perhaps someone... And I have a friend that said to me that if I will ever become a Christian... And some of you remember what Altona Church was like. And he said that I'll become a Christian in that church because I want to be a proper Christian. And his expectations were that and, and, and live by rules and live by the, the, the control of others because he, then he wouldn't have to have the responsibility. But he, I believe that a lot of people believe that Christians are perfect. Some people believe that they will become a Christian when they get perfect or when they improve and when they get rid of all these bad things that they have in their lives, that's when I'll become a Christian. And then you'll find that you'll become a Christian and you'll still find yourself that you're not perfect and you're faced with temptations and that you're faced with and and you fall and and you sin. And then only by the grace of God that you'll be freed from that and that he'll forgive you when you repent from any sin that you commit. So there's disappointment and discontent simply because our expectations are unrealistic. And like I said, we put enormous pressure on ourselves. The second enemy of content is unfair comparison. Do you compare yourself with people? I think we all do. I think we all do. And you know, when when we compare ourselves with um, our commitment to Christ, we generally compare ourselves with someone that's not as committed as we are. When we compare ourselves and we want to have pity for ourselves and we compare ourselves on on our um, finances, we compare or we want to be like someone else. I met a guy this week that um, for the first time I went to his office and he's a very, very wealthy man. And um, for those of you that have Ferraris, I might go in his Ferrari this week for the first time ever in a car like that. But I was surprised by walking into his office. I walked into his office and he's got a lot of staff and a very successful man. And I said, how are you? He says, oh, I don't know where to start. I don't know where to start. But you don't want to hear my problems. I says, "I says, try me. I says, tell me some of your problems. I've got time. And he didn't want to share anything. But I don't know if it's the way that people are these days, that they just come across like that. Or whether he truly believes that no one will ever listen to him. But it's a sad place to be at. And so I think that the second enemy is, to, is, to, is unfair comparison, where we, like, where we compare ourselves with others. History tells us the Apostle Paul was a fairly short person. And it also um, tells us, or traditions say, that Peter was a fairly tall and big, big man. But nowhere does he ever say that he compares himself with that, or he compares himself with another Christian, or, or the position that he was in. But he always stated, you know, if we're ever going to compare ourselves with anyone, it's to compare ourselves with Christ, who gave his all for us, for you and for me. Here is a very common one. The third enemy of contentment is unnoticed blessings. Do you think that you have unnoticed blessings? Who got up this morning and noticed that it was a nice day today? Compared to other days, the wind has been blowing, hasn't it? It's been so windy. So, yeah, we noticed a nice day. How many of us said, thank you, God, for a nice day? Great, great, if you did, fantastic. So, unnoticed blessings. So, you can notice the blessing. First of all is to notice them. Then to notice them and to appreciate them. And that's all part of being content, you see? See if we notice them, we've got some chance of being content. If we notice our health, if we notice our family, if we notice a lot of these things that we have, then it's part of the journey of being content. Who in here has air conditioning in their car? Let me ask a question, who doesn't have air conditioning in their car? <laughs> we have one hand. Do you have a car? You have a car. And no air conditioning. Wow. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. There you go. And that was part of my story that I'm going to share. My first car that I had, no air conditioning. Manual gears. And we still have one on the top of our our property there that doesn't have air conditioning that we're going to give it to Gabriel one day, but he might dodge that one. But my point is that... Nowadays, you go in a car, and if it doesn't have air conditioning, like you never see a car with the windows down, do you? When we were driving, we would drive to Queensland with the windows open. I remember going, I remember going in Brazil, and I went to Brazil with um, four other guys from our church, and three other guys, and, and, and Caroline, my sister. And, um, and we rented this Volkswagen on the border of Brazil and Argentina, and then we drove to the orphanages. And it was a Volkswagen Combi and he didn't have air conditioning, and we couldn't open the windows for the back, so it was so hot in Brazil, in southern Brazil, about 35, 40 degrees, so what we did is we opened the door, and he had a swing door, didn't even have a sliding door, swing door like that, and we had to tie it from there to the back of the thing so the door doesn't slam, because it was the only, so we're driving around with this door open on the car. They're the kind of things that we used to do. Nowadays, so it's, it's it's a blessing to have, it's an unnoticed blessing to have air conditioning, that we just take for granted so, so often. And there's so many other things that we could talk about. You know, the luxury of having a car. You know, there's a a lot of blessings that you have and that you take for granted. I remember when we started doing the course on Rosanne and I about fostering and they asked us to keep a book for these children because the children, when they grow up, they remember bad things. They don't remember a lot of the good things in their lives. People that have been through the foster um, system And so they want parents, if they go in a different home, that everyone has photos to remind these kids of the good times that they had in their lives. So sometimes you just need to be reminded of some good that you have in your life or that you've had in your life to appreciate some of those blessings. And I'm sure that if you got a bit of paper and you started jotting down things and blessings that you have in your life, you'd you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised at the huge list that you'd have. And not the least, I think it's a—it's probably we're talking. You know, I mentioned a lot of materialistic things, and they're probably a lot less significant than relationships and friendships and family, and and things that will last a lot longer than some of these um, possession things that we have. <laughs> Paul writing in First Timothy chapter six, verse eight. He says, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. That's all. So that we have a lot more than that, don't we? And we tend to um, to have all these blessings and, that are granted to us. And, but they go unnoticed. A lot of these things go unnoticed. So Paul here is encouraging the church. If we only have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And the last point on enemies of contentment is uncontrolled ambition. The Bible doesn't condemn ambition. It encourages us to strive for excellence. And I'd encourage you to strive for excellence. But when ambition is uncontrolled, or when it is selfish, when it's uncontrolled, it fuels selfish ego. And that is not good. James writes, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find this order, and every evil practices. In every evil practice. Remember the story in, in, in Luke about the rich farmer who had a, 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 an excellent harvest. He had a really good harvest. And Jesus taught, mentions this parable, and i got it here, and he and and you can read it while I tell you a bit of the story so he has this um <clears throat> he has this uh, amazing harvest and the harvest came from God because God blessed him and God was good to him and so what does he do he's thinking of only himself and he's thinking I'm going I know what I'll do he doesn't even go and just build another barn he says I'll knock that one down and I'll build a bigger one and I'll put everything in it so that I have more and it's about me and I'll be able to Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry, he says. And then God says to him, he says, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. The Bible never says be content with who you are. And I'm not saying for us to be content with who we are. Only through Christ you can be content with who you are. But don't be content. Aim and strive to be more like Jesus. But be content with what you have. We have to be ambitious in the right way, in the right things. So the source of content. Now let's look at the source of contentment. And there's three that I've listed. And the first one is the attitude of gratitude. Are you grateful? How grateful are you? And like I said, did you wake up this morning and you saw that it was a beautiful day? And were you grateful for it? If you have an attitude that causes you to be grateful for everything God has given you, you'll find contentment. Write short little notes. Write little notes on your computer to remind you to be thankful, to be grateful for things that you have. Remember your health. You know, some of these things, you're not going to have them forever. Your health, you're not going to have forever. Look at the Apostle Paul. He didn't have his freedom, he didn't have his wealth, he didn't have his health. And he learned to be the seeker of contentment. Your family, your job, your friends, your car. Remember these rides? 40 years for something that should have taken them 40 days of travelling in the wilderness. And why, time and time again, they were complaining and murmuring. To the point where they said to Moses, "Why have you taken us to this place? Have you taken us to this place so we could die in the desert? We had us so much better off in Egypt. Why did you bring us here?" So, first of all, they were rejoicing of all the amazing um, miracles that they have experienced, from the opening of the sea to the manna coming and the quails coming from heaven, and from their enemies being defeated. We very little effort from them many a times, and then yet yeah, they were complaining and complaining to the point where, how many how many of the original Israelites crossed the promised land? Remember, two. That's right. What's their names? Caleb and Joshua. Joshua. That's right. Caleb and Joshua, the only two. And remember that when they went to the promised land and they entered there and they came back, they were part of the spies that went there to have a look. And they came out and they, you know, everyone else complained and they said that they're huge. The people are massive. We better just run the other way. We can't conquer this place, we can't take over this place. They are huge. And Caleb and Joshua trusted in God. And they said that everything is possible with him. They believed that. And that was the only reason why they crossed to the promised land. Now, I'm not saying that we're always going to have great days. And I'd like to read the next verse in Isaiah 26, verse 3. He says, You will keep in perfect peace... Him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. I, I, I wanted to read in the New Living Version, he says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. This is talking to God. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. So basically, if our thoughts, if our minds are focused on Christ, on God, that's the only way we're going to have peace. Because this place that we're living in, there's very little peace going around, isn't there? And you hear of, you share with some people about something that happened on the news. And it's not uncommon these days for people to say, I don't watch the news. I had a few people in the last couple of weeks that told me, I don't watch the news. He says, all that's on the news is just bad and bad and bad. There's not much good news. So, attitude, attitude of gratitude, appreciating everything that we have is a gift from God, from our health to our family to our friends, to those who love us and care for us. Second source of contentment is to seek to please Christ and to stop to try and pleasing others, to stop trying to please other people. In Matthew six thirty three, a very well known verse that we should all know by heart: "But seek ye first the kingdom of God." And his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you, and all these things will be added to you. So, seek first. So, if you seek that, all other things will be irrelevant. They're not going to have much of an importance. And maybe it's a lesson that we've never learned, and we need to rediscover, and then we'll know the secret of contentment. We'll know the secret of being content. Paul says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. He's in prison in Rome. And he says, I can do all things to him who gives me strength. How would you be writing if you went to prison in Rome, with knowing that your days were numbered? Would you be as excited and ride things like this? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Probably not. I probably wouldn't. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be writing things like that. In First Thessalonians 2, 4, Paul says, We are not trying to please men but God. Here's a third source of contentment. Love people and show your concern for them. That is probably a pretty tough one these days, isn't it? Because we're all so busy and we pack our lives with so much. And we talk more and more about this, about how busy we are and how packed we are, that we have a little time for each other. Paul writes, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So he's saying that they were concerned and he's so grateful for this church. They were grateful because they've sent someone out to him. And not only did they send finances, to, to, but they've sent someone to take care of him while he's in prison. And then he goes on to say in verse 11 and 14, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance, yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Paul thanks the church in Philippi because they've sent Epipharatius, to come and comfort him and to be with him and to go out. I don't know what prison was like. Probably if he needed a messenger, someone to go out. And you know, in the end of the last few verses in this chapter, it talks about greetings that he's sending to the church in Philippi. And he talks about that even the household of Caesar, so there's people that have been impacted by him and by Jesus Christ, people that went back to Rome, and that we impact them, that we're saved through the gospel. And he, he, he even says, and how encouraged that must have been for him to know that his life has been of use. Not only in back in Israel, but in all parts of the world where he's gone through Greece. And as he's done his missionary journey, and now even in Rome, where the superpowers of that were, of that time were In conclusion, how about you? Do you have peace? Do you have peace this morning? Are you content? Or are you one that will say, if only? Do you have that if in your thoughts? Simply knowing that he... Has secured for us eternal life, knowing that we can strive only through his righteousness, not our righteousness, and we have a better place, and that he has, he, he's sovereign, and that he cares about every bit of our being. You know, a lot of people say that it, God is not concerned about a lot of things in our lives about all the little details in our lives. But we all respect what Jesus said, true, because we know that he was God in the flesh. And remember what Jesus said? He said that our Heavenly Father even knows about a sparrow that falls. He's A sparrow that falls from the sky. God knows when there's a sparrow that falls. When the sparrow falls and dies, do you notice that on the street? Do you notice when there's a sparrow that falls? Don't notice it much, do you? But the sparrows that apparently die a lot. But we don't notice them. And then what does he continue in straight after that? What does he talk about? That he even knows the hairs on your head, exactly, the numbers. Imagine. Imagine we have a list at the door there as you come in and we write down how many numbers each one of us have. What's the point, hey? Thousands and thousands. And God would be at the door there and say, Oh, you got 50 less this week than last week. You got hundreds less. But he knows it. It's amazing. But the thing about it is that we know, we know that God is almighty, all powerful, all-knowing. But for Jesus to write that, to say that, that's the part that boggles my mind, that Jesus is saying that to simply point the message and say, it's not ridiculous. It's not ridiculous to say that. God knows everything about you, inside out about you. Every detail of your life, he knows. So be content. Don't worry about things. He knows it. And if he doesn't give you something, it's because he knows that it's not good for you. If you're trusting and you're living in his will. Now, if you take things in your own hands and you, want, you don't want to have much to do with him, well, then it's a different story. But whilst you're committing yourself in, into his hands and forever pleading for him to have his way in your life, then he'll only give you the good things. And Paul's secret and contentment is not his own, but that he belongs to Jesus. And he realized that he belongs to Jesus. I belong to him. And, and that's why I'm content because it's in his hands. I'm in his hands. My life is in his hands. I don't need to worry. I don't need to worry if I get out of prison or if I die in prison. I don't need to worry if the Romans will, be, will hear the gospel, if, uh, if the household of Caesar is going to spread and, 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 and it's going to be like wildfire throughout the earth. I don't need to be there and have strategies and have meetings with them and tell them I've been the missionary, I've done three and a half missionary trips or four trips that I did, that I need to tell them all about what strategy we should have about how going to the other parts of the world. He realised that God is sovereign and he realised that he belongs to him and that if he's sovereign, let him take care of those details and that stuff. I don't need to worry about that. And a lot of things that we think that we need to worry about, we don't need to worry. God is sovereign, and he'll take care of that. Trust in Him. Let's pray. Father, Sovereign Lord, we worship you, we, serve, we seek your guidance. We pray, Father that we may be content in you. We may learn the secret of contentment, just like the Apostle Paul did, Lord, at the lowest point of his life that he learned that secret, Lord. He didn't learn it in the peak of his life, but in the lowest point, Father, when he was in prison. And he's so excited and so happy that he had one visitor. Father, we just thank you for all the blessings that you give us daily. We thank you for the beautiful day that you've given to us today lord i just pray that i might be able to see the, the the blessings that i get from you every day father and thank you for them thank you lord that you're in control thank you that you are sovereign thank you that you're almighty all-knowing and that you have this place this world that seems to be out of control this world that seems to 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 be at a place where it needs justice to take place where it needs a God, a loving God to come in and to to, to punish those that are doing horrible things and that we we would like to see that justice. But Father, we know that he belongs to you. We know that you're in control and we trust you, Father. We simply want to be in your will, God, and we simply want to trust you. And we simply want to say that we love you, And we thank you that you loved us first. In Jesus' name, amen.